Hey everybody, welcome to our second uh, episode. I know it seems like it's been forever since that time. I think we've we've climbed the hills of Mumbai and dredged the depths of Atlantis. I don't know about you, but it's felt like seven years in Tibet. Oh my god, it did. But I think that's because they keep changing the name of Tibet. And so you don't know how much time has passed. You have to start resetting the calendar every time. What calendar? That's a great word. <laughs> um, speaking of Almanakis, um, so, so thanks again for coming back. Thanks for coming back. If, if you're episode. here, yeah, exactly. it means that we didn't scare you away exactly. the first one, and you wanted more. So. Yes, and we're here to deliver. <laughs> we are like your personal Domino's pizza. <laughs> Without the point system. Without the point system or like the really cool car. Did you see that they have like these like, I think it's a, she- a Chevy Spark. You no. know, the little cars that have like a built-in oven. <gasps> yeah. Can I buy that for like me? I, They're using like a prototype in a few stories. But but anyway, well, welcome back to <laughs> Pero Let Me Tell You. And there's a lot we want to tell you. That's right. Pero, Pero Let's Start. Pero let's Start. Exactly. <laughs> what are we waiting for? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, Oscar season. Ooh, that's right. It's starting soon. Yeah, the awards season. So, um, you know, if you're a movie buff, you would care about this conversation. And if if you're not, you're still going to care about it because we're that entertaining. We're that entertaining (laughs) and because you're going to hear about it in the news over and over and and over again. Better this than Trump. Uh, uh, Yes, (laughs) that is true. That's that's great. That's couldn't have said wiser words. So, um... There's a few movies that are in the short list, if you will, although the Oscar nominations have not happened yet. Um, Lady Bird. Um, mm-hmm. um, sounds like a country band, doesn't it? <laughs> I think of the First Lady. No. I th- oh, yeah, it's true, Lady Bird Johnson. Yes, yeah, 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 but I, I, I feel like it's a, a, con- a female country super group. Like, it's got Miranda Lambert, <laughs> Reba McIntyre, and Trisha Yearwood. Weird name dropping And they there. are Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Yes, and, but they sing, like, old songs from Alabama. But you know what? That would be a great Vegas residency. <gasps> that would the be. Lady Birds. That would be. And you know what? It's recorded. So that means if they steal it, you all have heard it, and we can claim yes. some type of And ownership. I could totally see that happening in, like, the Caesar... No, not Caesar's Palace. Um, like Haras. Yes. Like you a, want something yeah. a little bit more old school. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not like the Flamingo. No. No, I think he got knocked down. This is no, the Flamingo Oh, no, that's right. Donnie Marie are there. Donnie Marie are there. And so was um, Richard Tony Marks. Bra- and, ter- and Tony Brack. Richard Marks Richard had a Marks Vegas had a residency. Vegas, yes. The, when I went um, last year to go see Britney, we walked through the Flamingo, and there was a sign for Richard Marks, and I was like, damn it, I could have seen Richard Marks and Britney Spears on the same weekend? Uh, sure. Why not? Why Listen, not? Throw a little Daisy Fuentes in there, and it's a full weekend. So we have... Lady Bird, Shape of Water is another mm-hmm. um, frontrunner. Have you yeah. seen Shape of Water? I did see Shape of Water. Um, I thought it was great. I think you know Shape of Water is probably just it's a I, I, it's one of Benny um, I think Benicio de Toro Guillermo de Toro's um, like fable things. It's very tense, labyrinthy, but with mm-hmm. a lot more underwater sex. Oh, you know, underwater sex. And I love the fauna, but I don't want to see the fauna have sex with anything in Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> and those fairies were way too vicious, so you know they've all got safe words. Um, Get Out is also generating a lot of buzz. I really like that movie. D- did you see it? I haven't I, seen it yet. Okay, I saw that movie after the buzz. And to mm-hmm. me, actually, that's in general, I, I like to apply this thinking. 
if I see a movie at the height of its buzz, I feel like I'm always a little disappointed mm-hmm. because I always walk in with this like super high anticipation. But once I see it after all the buzz is gone, mm-hmm. I can appreciate it for its own merits again. So mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to me with Get Out. Um, I, I thought it was a fantastic movie I saw on HBO for the first mm-hmm. time because uh, I kept trying to watch it on the plane mm-hmm. when I was traveling a lot for work, but I kept falling asleep on mm-hmm. the plane. Um, but I think that whole buzz thing is kind of what happened to me with um, Call Me By Your Name. Did you finally see it? I did see it because a buddy of mine is in SAG, and so he has a lot of screeners, and mm-hmm. we, we watched it actually this week. This week or la- oh. end of last week here. So you were home. disappointed because of the buzz? I wouldn't say I was disappointed. I would say that, you know, because of the buzz, maybe it was ex- I was expecting something more. I don't know what I was expecting, but I feel like afterwards I walked away and I was like, that was a really good movie. It was really well acted. It was really well directed, written, etc., etc., etc. But I was like, okay. Like I didn't walk away from See, it with this. Call me, call me by your city. Call me by your name. Um, I went to see that movie, and um, I mean, obviously, I knew what it was about, but I didn't know too much about it. So right, it was one of right. those kind of like pleasant surprise, like you know, when you go to see something and you kind of have an idea of what it's about, but yeah. you don't really know what at it's about. At best, you had the cliff notes. Um, at best. And I even thought it was like a little, not creepy, but just kind of like, really? They're going to have a film about, uh, you know, a, a teenage kid who falls in so love with a... Statutory uh, rape, essentially. Essentially, statutory <laughs> yeah. rape, you know? Um, and and I thought, oh, well, okay. But I, I the movie was just beautiful. And I... I just, the end of the movie just really emotionally, at least for me, it was just, wow. I I didn't, again, I wasn't expecting it. And, and, and maybe I, that's why you had such a reaction. I, I thought it was so beautifully written. And what I loved was that the movie, um, it wasn't really cliched. Uh, you know, a lot of these coming yeah. of age, coming out movies... They're a little bit cliched and all that. And Especially because this one takes place in the 80s. And I think very easily it could have fallen into the trap of, like, the AIDS crisis. Right. Or, you know, the, the coming out and he's shunned right, by the, family. Right, or, right. Or, and it, it wasn't about right. that. At the end of the day, it was about a, a simple and honest love story. And... and Between a boy and his apricot. <laughs> I told you, I never saw, I'll never see Peaches the same again or Apricot. Let me tell you something. I have a feeling that that's not the first time. At this point, I think the movie's been out enough that we're not, it's not a spoiler necessarily. But let's just say he American pies the apricot. Yes. Yes. That's right? a he, great comparison. He, he American pies the apricot. Um, but they live on this like, there's like a whole apricot orchard. And I feel like at some point they just started growing the apricots because it was cheaper. <laughs> I feel like Elio did this to many an apricot. Yeah. Um, and so it's just cheaper to grow, to grow an orchard than yeah. to keep buying new fruit. But but again, I thought that the movie, it, it could have been very cliched. It could have been very kind of even preachy, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It, it kept to the story. The story was very honest. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that scene at the end with his father mm-hmm. was just, it was so beautifully written, like the dialogue. And... and Applicable to, to anyone, it, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, it was his son, you know, maybe realizing that he was gay, but just to anyone, it, it, it was just such a beautiful speech. And then I told you the fireplace scene, uh, I mean, when he looks into the fire at the very end, when the credits oh, oh, come the out, Christ, I mean, yeah, yeah. that part, 
aside from the the fact that just in simple movie making, I've never seen a movie where the credits I seen that that shot that yeah, shot yeah. where the credits roll and it's like yeah. a full blown. It's it's not a secret scene like in the Marvel right, movies. It's a full it's blown not, yeah. uh, wide shot of him looking into a fireplace and the credits roll. That's a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it. But just the emotion that as an actor he it's portrayed. The entire movie's about young chimney sweeps. <laughs> the, just the emotion that the he as an actor portrayed, I mean, was just uh, the range that he had. In those like five minutes of it, the credits. Of or, the credits, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, you crazy. kind of. He kind of emoted the entire love story or the entire movie, what he went through. He kind of emoted that. He conveyed right. it in, in, in a few minutes yeah. in that scene. Um, so you mentioned the, the scene with the father and the speech, and I think, again, it was well-acted, well-written and everything. But let's get down to a little bit of brass tacks here. Um, can you imagine having any degree of that type of conversation with a, with a parent? I mean, let's, let's broaden the scope here. Let's not just say with your father. With a Hispanic parent. Right, with a Hispanic parent. Can you imagine? Because I can't. Like, I think that's that's the type of speech and things that maybe it does happen in real life, but I think listen, it's awkward enough listen, listen. with any ethnicity. Listen, Vida, if that would have been... If that would have been a, a Cuban or not only Cuban, we're gonna say Cuban because that's what we can relate to. Uh, but, uh, but a Latin right. parent, right? Okay, but referring to Cuban, but again, a Latin parent in the eighties, especially Aye. that you come and you tell you. Well, he didn't tell his dad, but his dad kind of figures so, out. He'll sing the seed. So. Sing the seed that yeah. he's gay. It's he about that mira. We need to get a professional in here, oh. and when we need a professional, you need a prostitute. Para que enseñe niño de otra cosa. He's gonna, he's gonna be pepeña that shit. Oh yeah. yeah Actually, yeah, yeah. wait. Remember when this was it? Yes. So, okay. For those of you who don't, because again, just how we do. So, for those of you who who may not necessarily be familiar with it, there is a show from the late seventies, early eighties, um, called Que Pasa USA. Or loose translation is, you know, what, what what's up USA? And it tells the story of three generations of Cuban American family, and they live in the little Havana area of Miami. And it was created by PBS, so I think there's only, what, like 24 episodes? It's a handful. Cause, I think 30. Because it was, it was government-funded, yeah. essentially. Um, and it was, it was created at a time when the government-funded was creating programming to showcase, like, you know, um, bilingual families and things of that nature. And, you know, just really to broaden the scope of what people thought of as a family. And it was actually an award-winning show. It was won an Emmy. It won uh, the local Emmys, and it was broadcast actually all across the globe, mm-hmm. um, which I think speaks to the universality of, of the themes that they would tackle. One of them was, you know, the one episode they think that their their eldest son, they have two kids, a son and a daughter, they think that he's gay for, you know, and it's typical sitcom, Three's Company type, you know, mm-hmm. misunderstandings and hijinks, but it's just, fant- it's a fantastic show, and I think it does something very interesting, which is, plays on the dynamics of family where and again the fact that it was able to be exported to other countries is that it's a cuban family but it shows the common traits that mm-hmm. any multi-generational family can face exactly exactly you know because you had the grandparents who were stuck in in, in their the ways Cuba, in their ways and, and the cuban culture how they com- constantly compared um everything to cuba and i mean obviously our reference is cuban cuba because we're cuban but it's the same if you're mexican if you're from whatever country in, in latin america you know your grandparents are always going to say in mexico la cosa it's just yeah, italians i'm sure italians the same and then the parents you know those were the grandparents the parents were kind of stuck somewhere in the middle between both cultures and the children were americanized and right. it was always 
it was always the constant battle. But in reference to the gay episode of Que Pasa USA, so when I was a kid, all right, that I used to watch that episode because they used to. So here in Miami, that that epi- that show is wildly popular. It still is today. It's yeah. so popular, in fact, that they're going to do um, a play or a, musical, a stage show, a stage show of yeah. it. How I mean, forty years after this show went off the air, yeah. it it's still as popular as ever yeah. and um but there is this one episode where the eldest son joe um he has to do some project because you know at that time if you were gay it was a project, it was a project yes, you know um it, he had nowadays you get your own club <laughs> he, he 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 was doing research on it right and the parents find all this literature and all this stuff having to do with you know being gay or gay right. culture and um the parents are very concerned so they end up the parents and the grandparents in the, you know on the show going to a gay bar and i remember when it's i was a heaven. kid i remember when, heaven yeah. i remember when i was a kid when i used to watch that part when they went to the club remember they would put the glasses on so they could be all incognito right. i didn't get it i didn't get that they were at a gay bar i'm like why are they hiding and like what? because in your defense though it was a gay bar almost a name only because when they would show the dance floor Everybody was just kind of dancing with everybody, but not in a way that showed like, oh, they are lesbians. Oh, they're gay. Well, you know, it's PBS. Just, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is like they were just kind of dancing in a circle. I love a big the part. Group. I love the part where the dad, where Pepe, he bumps into the guy and he goes, I am looking for my son. And he's like, great. Because I'm looking for, what is he saying? He's looking for a, a, a dad a, a, a father figure or a dad type. And I'm like... I remember watching and be like, what's the big deal? Like, why are they hiding? And then I love the part where Pepe bumped, he bumped into a co-worker. And he's like, Pepe! Pepe, Yeah, not just... He doesn't just recognize him. He recognizes him at the top of his lungs with first and last name yeah. at a gay club. And, yeah. and again... You know the, the whole Hispanic machismo thing being in full swing. You know, and it was the seventies, late seventies, early eighties. You know, and and not to say that it's. I mean, we can say it's subsided a little bit nowadays. I think. No, it's different. It's I think different it's now. different. I think, but then there's also something to be said for <coughs> you know just where we are nowadays. Obviously, yeah. Um, so I think that's. You know, I, I can't. Like I said, I can't imagine having that type of conversation with a parent. It would not go like First it would. It went with Elio. No, no. <laughs> you know, when the dad tells him this beautiful like speech about sí, love no. and about no, no, you no, know. no, no, no. It would have been more along the lines of "Mirame lo que tú vas a hacer," because that's not gonna fly. You know, just, and it's it's gonna it's very cut and dry. Oh, I told you. There's no there's no you know twirling of the hair <laughs> in your lap. Vamos a traerle una profesional aquí para que le enseñe al niño lo que Anyway, and that so was, that yeah. so that that was her second that was, bro. Yes. Um, you know, we were talking about how beautiful <laughs> <laughs> we can tell so call me by your name is, and, and we ended up with talking about you know getting a prostitute for oh your teenage son. Anyway, okay, but can I can I, sticking on the the call me by your name? I want to make two okay, so two things. Number one, I feel like the real MVP of that movie is Mafalda. Oh yeah, Mafalda, <laughs> Mafalda the the maid. Mm-hmm. Okay, not only did this woman know how to make you know bo- look she was offering to make them a smoothie it was like 1983 and nobody made smoothies mm, in 1983 no. so she was ahead of her time she was she knew how to make latkes because she made the latkes for Hanukkah mm-hmm. 
She was also very energy conscious because in one scene, Elio gets ice out of the freezer and he leaves it a little bit open and they linger and you see Mafalda come and close it. So, you know, she's trying to help the family save money. Right. She's trying to be green. Exactly. And you know what? Considering that I think that, you know, Elio doesn't only use apricots, who knows what other kind of stains this poor woman has to take out of sheets. Yeah. I think she's the MVP of of calling by your name. Which is also, I'm just going to say, it's a stupidly confusing thing to tell somebody. No, it's not. It's, yes, it it's, is. It's, it's it has meaning in ter- the context of the yeah. book. If I'm if I'm in bed with someone, it's, it's like, call me by your name, and then like you know we're going at it, and they're just you know saying their name at me. I'm gonna, okay. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was meant in the context of sex. It was meant in the context of of uh, emotional emotional intimacy, not sex. But anyway, let's move. From, let's move. From Call Me By Her Name. Needlessly confusing. Um, Also, uh, the three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri has getting a lot of buzz. Um, I thought that was about um, those truck stop uh, stripper places that you see the billboards on the way out. (laughs) It's very disappointing to see it's Francis McDormand is getting a lot of attention. I mean, she's a great actress. What I thought was really funny is that recently in the Golden Globes, whenever the Golden Globes were, uh, she kind of looked a little psychotic. <laughs> but like in I don't that know, kooky actress <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know if she was just... I, I don't know um, if she was in... Her hair was like really short. I don't know if maybe it was because she's doing a new movie or whatever. Actually, you know what? That brings something up. Um, which is uh, obviously a good conversation point that a lot of people are having a conversation about with the whole Time's Up, Me Too movement, yep. and yep. the and now, you know, obviously this opens up the whole yep. gender conversation. Not to be confused with the um, the Hispanic social media platform, Me Too. Me Too. Yeah, no. not the same thing. <laughs> By the way, not. have you seen the video of Me Too of Abuela getting ready? Oh, I love her. I love no, her. I know you love her. Big shout out to Jenny Lorenzo. She is a phenomenal phenomenal just i mean her her ability to embody everything we love about a cuban grandmother yeah is amazing yeah, have, have you seen that one? Oh, oh, i've seen all of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love when she whips up the jean and say hey yeah he perfumito hey go en francés el young nate which we know someone who got a bottle recently as a gift yeah. i actually don't think it smells bad okay but that's just not something you in, in the context of this person... Right, and especially this person who's in their 30s. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little um, odd. What is it? Regifting? Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> so the whole thing now that's happening with, uh, you know, the whole the movement, gender yeah. movement now, I feel that it, it it's in common with the um, Me Too movement and, you know, and the whole sexual harassment. And now mm-hmm. also it, they threw in their... The whole um, issue with um, the uh, wages, with the fact that women get paid a lot less. So let me so let me inequality. Let me ask you this though, because this is a good example. Um, because people argue about you know the difference in wages between men and women all the time, and mm-hmm. you know they stick things like education and background and experience right. and what all that it, stuff. A woman, a woman makes, what is it, 80 cents on the dollar or right. something Right, but like you that. know, there's people who are critical of it that say, well, but you know, women haven't been in the f- workforce as long as men mm-hmm. traditionally and all that. You know, people who call the whole Correct. disparity BS. A good example of that, um, I think, is the whole issue now with Hoda Kotb. 
Okay. Um, so, as everybody knows, Matt Lauer was fired from the Today Show, um, and he was replaced with Hoda Kotb. Yay, Hoda! And, um, you know, for people who watch the Today Show or not, Hoda Kotb is a very, very loved anchor on the Today Show. Yeah. She was hosting the fourth hour of Today with Kathy Lee Gifford, which is actually one of their highest rated hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, yeah. she, everybody likes her. the fifth hour of Today with Piazzadora. <laughs> Pia Zadora. Pia Zadora. Um, okay, we have to have a whole podcast on Pia Zadora. I mean, and whoever's out there listening and gets the Pia Zadora references, I mean, God bless you because. But we will, we will but for now, let's. For now, let's, for now, let's go back let, on top. Let, let's fly back to our other topic like a butterfly. Like a bow? <laughs> Anyway, I mean, here we were talking about statutory rape a little yeah, while yeah, ago. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so Hoda Kotb um, was given the job of Matt Lauer, so now her and Savannah... I would say she earned it. She earned it, but she, she, she was it. placed... She was given. She, she, was, she earned it. She earned the spot of Matt Lauer. So she and Savannah Guthrie are now the main anchors on the Today Show. Great. Now, it's come to light that Hoda is making... $15 million less. I don't know if it's $15 million less a year or $15 million for the contract. Okay. For the longevity of the contract. But the point is that she's making $15 million less than Matt Lauer. Okay. Now, let's look at them on paper. Matt Lauer, I don't know if you knew this, Matt Lauer doesn't even have a college degree, let alone a degree in journalism. No. Okay. You know the first time I saw Matt Lauer? The very first time I saw him? In 1993... When they aired, they put the girly show Madonna's tour on HBO. Matt Lauer was the person who kind of did like the pre-show kind of. Really? Yeah. It was Matt Lauer. And he was interviewing because they were airing the, the, I think the concert, they aired it like at a club. And he was interviewing some people there, you know, who were fans. That was in 1993. That's a. F- I mean, obviously, it was also when the world got introduced to a topless Carrie and Anaba, Anaba, who later would be on Dancing with the Stars. Yes. Um, but anyway, but that's where he was in '93. You know, he was doing little I didn't know that. interview stuff. I actually still have it recorded on my VHS when I left the the concert recording. Right. Um, <clears throat> so that's where he was in '93. You know, okay. um, whereas Hoda Kotb, you know, she's a journalist. She went. Uh, she has a degree in journalism. She's been at NBC for twenty years. Wow. I don't. I don't know. If a lot of people realize that, but she's been on. No, I did not. She's been on twenty years. She's been on Dateline. She's been an anchor. She's done different things. So she has a wide range. She, of she's found her stripes, right? And and she's she's very versatile because she'll do hard news one minute, but then and she's then, drinking wine with Kathy Lee, right? Right. Exactly. Right. So she's obviously a beloved figure and. Putting her in that spot where Matt Lauer was, the ratings are up now. So now, here comes the question. Why is she being paid? Because now you can't make now the argument of like, well, you know, she has less. Because Savannah Guthrie has less experience than Matt Lauer. Okay. Well, okay. We'll, we'll right. give you that. Um, although, I don't know if you know about her. She's a, She was formerly a lawyer and, and all that. But, but, for, but in terms of the company. In, in terms of the company, in terms of her experience, she was a... White House correspondent, okay. but she does have less experience than Matt Lauer. Okay. okay, okay, fine. But Hoda has been at that same network for much longer than him, for 20 years. She's been in a wide variety of shows. As you said, she earned her stripes. Why is she making 15, and we're talking about a substantial amount of money, right? You know, we're not talking about a, 
pocket change here. Why is she making $15 million less than him? So Does it mean something? Does it not mean something? Was it that he had a better agent? And you that's, know, that's the, the, My first instinct is to go you know, almost to that route. And I think there's something to be said, and, and I'll, I'll bring up also... Recently, we had the situation with with Mark Wahlberg. Yes, where he earned I don't know how many how much I don't remember the exact number. It was a it was million and a half for the reshoot. Right, a million and a half for the reshoot, as opposed to Michelle Williams who was making eighty dollars a day. <laughs> now, I my, mean, now my first my first, honestly like let's take let's take gender out of the conversation. My first thing would be like Michelle, you need a better agent. Like I mean, if your agent can't they get have the same there, agent, they have the same agent. Yes. Okay. Well, then that's a bigger problem. What what now? With that said. What I what and this kind of ties back to what, to what we were saying is, I think at this point Hoda's beloved and I I love Hoda Hoda copy. She has just started in the role. It's to say that the ratings are up because she or anybody has shifted. I think you have to also first and foremost give a grace period mm-hmm. because I think no matter who filled that role, ratings initially in the Matt Lauer in the in the Matt to, just to see what happens mm-hmm. in the in the initial absence of Matt Lauer, the ratings were gonna go up. Mm-hmm. So it's not about whether the ratings because people are gonna go in for curiosity. Exactly. It's now they've got to see if they sustain. So I think, and that's just from a business perspective. I'm not talking about anything other than I'm just saying from a business perspective, they need to see if. What's going to happen now with the ratings? Because that the implication, and again, I, because of my background in advertising, I feel like I I have a different angle on this, a little bit more detached, which is that is obviously going to affect how much they can charge for the spots on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. So if now if the ratings continue to stay at that level or right. go higher, and they turn around and now they can say, well, instead of charging, and I'm just making numbers up, I don't know what the rates are, but let's say instead of charging a thousand dollars per spot, now we can charge three thousand dollars per spot, which means that now that that program is making you know, three times as much money, and then we don't see an increase, then now I think it's more about her being a woman. Right, but... I no, think at, no, at, I, at this point. And at I, this understand, point. I understand what you're saying. I mean, you make a very good point, because at the end of the day, it's a business. Right, right. right. Um, but in terms of her in specific, specifically, um, I mean, she... I don't know, and were the ratings for the fourth hour... Higher than the other. The ratings hour. for the fourth hour were not higher because the thing with the Today Show is that the first two hours of the Today Show. That's why their their biggest news stories and biggest mm-hmm. you know breaking right, right. breaking um, news is in the two, first two hours because that's when people are watching, getting ready to go to work. So, so that could so be pl- so that, that could also play a factor again. That they, they could. I don't know what the structure is for payment, but it could be on a tier factor. Where if you're in the fourth hour, in the, the first two hours, you make more, right? Just well, but okay, that, that may it, that may be true. But if that's the case, then again, if she's given a new contract and a new pay well, schedule, is for this is this a new contract? That's yes. A, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. That, oh, yes, okay. Yes. I thought this. I thought yes. that's the. My apologies. I thought that this was saying she's and, making this much, even though. And she's you know doing what? I would this. further argue okay. she's making fifteen million dollars less, and she's working more than he was because she does the first two hours and the fourth hour. But you know what? That's just typical of what it takes to be a woman, doesn't it, ladies? <laughs> you can always do three times more than a man, and you ain't going to make as much. Yeah, but you know... And that sucks. You know what? Maybe it's sexist. Maybe it's not. Maybe it has... You know, who I'm not knows? saying there's no who knows, sexism but, in but, play, but... But it's, it's certainly... I don't think it's clear-cut. It's certain, it, it, right. There may be a lot of dynamics behind it that we don't know, but it's certainly... You know, it, it, it's certainly, especially in this climate, it certainly adds fuel to the fire because we're talking about 
you, you know, a, a, a very big disparity. It's not like, well, you know, yeah. the contract is for $1 million less. Oh, you know, $1 million, right, but, right. you know, $1 million less. It's for a substantial amount less for someone who is kind of a sure thing. I mean, she's... She's she, a team player. She's a team she's, player. She already has a gig in the Today Show. She's proven herself. She's proven herself. Yeah. So why the disparity? That is the whole thing. You know, the, the whole thing with Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg, I will tell you this, though. I think it is wrong that they came out after Mark, after him, and they were criticizing him. You know, if they were offered... They could have told him no. They could, they, no, they could have said, I want X amount. They could have said, no, we're going to give you this. Right, I mean, but I don't... I. I don't even think it was a matter of what he asked. I mean, I'm sure that when he was asking for his reshoot fee, mm-hmm. I'm sure that he wasn't like, oh, I, I, I'm going to get more money than that Michelle Williams and right. all that. And you know what? Although I think Michelle Williams is a much better actor than Mark Wahlberg, Mark she Wahlberg, open for better, for worse, brings in the she money. Does, yeah, she doesn't open you know, movies. so I can understand from a as you were saying from a business point of view and he did the right thing. He donated the money to He to, did the right but here's the thing. He did the right thing, but I think that by just saying he did the right thing, there's an implication that it was wrong. That he you're right, that it was, that he did something wrong and I don't think he did anything wrong. No, I don't think he did anything wrong either. For them to be vilifying. Right. But I think that him giving the money it's I, I don't see it as that he did something wrong because I don't think he did something wrong. I think it's that he um, he's sending a message out there of like, hey, this is Solidarity. this shouldn't be happen. This shouldn't be happening. You know, another thing. Who knows? Maybe in his contract, in his initial uh, initial contract to film the movie, mm-hmm. it said that he had to that he would charge for a reshoot fee, and she wouldn't. I mean, we don't know this. Right. And that's, and, Those and, are things we do know. I mean, the point is right. there is a uh, there is a pay in, inequality in, in Hollywood and just in general. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's none a, of this wouldn't have happened if Kevin Spacey wasn't a lech. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you love your House of Cards. I let me tell you something. When the whole <laughs> Kevin Spacey thing was happening. That's who's really at fault here. Let's I, just all. That's not Kevin Spacey for everything. Well, you you understand because I when I watch House of Cards, I I I know you don't watch it, but I have to tell you what I feel yeah. about House of Cards. It's like when people would watch Lost, <laughs> and then they would show up and they'd be like, "Do you watch Lost?" I would say, "No, I don't." Well, let me either way proceed to tell you for the next three yeah. hours what just happened. Well, the difference between that and House of Cards is the House of Cards comes. Once a year, and you watch it in you know you binge watch it. Like so you only you only get my House of Cards comments maybe for one or two weeks. Okay. Whereas House of you know um, Lost. Lost was every weekend. Oh, it's like I don't watch Lost people, and I I don't watch it for a reason. Anyway, back to House of Cards and and Kevin Spacey. I was just I love Frank Underwood and Claire Underwood and and. Oh my! I was so upset when they fired him from the show. I know what he did. I know it was wrong. I, I, but from a character perspective, is where you were upset. You were upset for, for the, the show. For, for, the, for show. the show, correct, correct. Because that show was kick ass. And I, I've told you this before. I told you this before. Um, well, before this all happened, she actually Claire. She's your favorite character. She's my favorite character. Oh, I always like the badass women. Yeah. Um, she's my favorite character. Um, but I feel that she needs him. Because the dynamic that they had on that show was all about them and how they backstabbed each other and then they loved each other. And 
And when you have one piece of that missing, I just right. don't know how the writers are going to put it together, but they are, they better. <laughs> it's like when B. Arthur didn't go to the Golden Palace. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It was as much as we love as much as we loved Sophia, Rose, and uh, Blanche it was not the same. Sorry, Cheech Marin, you were not you were not enough. You know, was in that golden. I know the fact palace. that Cheech Marin could not fill the, the, the those weird high heel boots of B. Arthur. <laughs> you know exactly. Uh, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I know about. all of y'all out there who've watched the Golden Girls are exactly the boots I'm talking about. Um, well, you know, what I think it's funny about the hotel um, Golden Palace um, was that this guy was on there. Uh, what's his name? The guy from Hotel Rwanda. Yes, um, um, Don Cheeto. Don Cheeto. Don Cheeto. Academy Award winning, future Academy Award winning. It's not like he won the Academy Award and then went to go do Golden Palace. <laughs> that's, that's like you know what that always reminds me of. Every time now that people love it, they. Lucius, what's his name? Hey, um, I. Uh, oh my god, on Empire! Uh, Empire! It's, oh my god, it's um, gonna kill me! Oh uh, no, we have to remember. We have to, oh my god! Oh my god! Terrence Howard. Ter- everybody now loves Terrence Howard. You know, I love Terrence Howard. Let me remind you that Terrence Howard <laughs> was on Glitter with Mariah Carey, he, and he was the main villain. It's and, not even like he yeah, was the. It's not like he had a little part, yeah. and so did um, so was pa- uh, Padma. Yes. yes. She was on Glitter too. I mean, I know now she's all up on uh, uh, what's the name of the show? Hey, Top the, Chef. Top Chef. Yeah. And I know, but you know, Silk was in Glitter. Listen, we all need to start somewhere. <laughs> you know, we listen. At David Duchovny was on the Red Shoe Diaries. Uh, Everybody's got. You know, every somewhere. time I see David Duchovny somewhere, I always say, "Why won't you love me?" David Duchovny. Yeah. Wait, who, who sang that? It's, it was a song. David Duchovny. No, I know, but who was that sang that? I don't know. Oh, God. I feel like... I want to say Fiona Apple, but that sounds too bad. Fiona Apple? No. No, no, no. But, but it was that time frame. It was that like that time frame of music. Okay. <laughs> you know where... David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love Me, was sung oh. by Bree Sharp. Okay, then I don't know. And the song is called David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love well, Me. Well, you know when you know what you know. <laughs> oh, the more you know. The more you know. Oh. On PBS, let's on all, NBC. Uh, let's all pause and picture the star. <laughs> I'm picturing Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Oh, that's right at the Super Bowl. How can we forget that? For a second, I sincerely thought that you were confusing Katy Perry with Katy Couric. But <laughs> now, because of NBC. Mira, 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 mira. If I would have seen Katy Couric flying on that star at the Super Bowl halftime, that would have been that would have been a TV moment. That would have been the type of TV moment that whenever VH1 decides to do, I love the two thousands. Remember. I love the 90s, I love the 80s, I love the 70s. Whenever they do I love the 2000s, they'll be like, Hey, remember that time that the Super Bowl Katie Curry came out flying in a star? In my mouth. So, um, oh so, yeah. Um, oh, good lord. So, yeah, so there's a lot of... So women should get paid the same as men. Women should get paid the same. Well, I mean, you know, I think comparable. And I, 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 it's funny because... My entire career, I've always had female bosses, and so obviously I don't know what everybody's salary is. But 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 I'm saying from my perspective, I've always had female bosses. So I think maybe for me, when I hear these types of things of like, Mm -hmm. oh, there aren't enough women in X Y Z, it it again, I don't want to be that guy who's like, well, that's not true because I don't see it. Mm -hmm. 
But I've been exposed to the opposite, right? Because of the because of the the maybe it's my industry. It is your industry because you know when when I yeah. first not to say there's not when I first became an attorney, you know, and I was you know I was working at a big firm. I right. was working in multi million dollar cases. Right. You know, I would often you know like if it was a case, I remember I had a several cases where. You know, there was a million defendants, so mm-hmm. you're talking about each defendant having a, a, a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so I would go to mediation conferences or depositions or whatever that it'd be 20 attorneys, and they've all, you know, 20 attorneys all in like their big power suits, and I'd be there like, "Hi, I'm 20. <laughs> I'm 20. How old was I? 27? You know, yeah. hi. <laughs> Here I am." <laughs> I mean, I'm tough. You know, and I would often think, and me, and I'm a guy, you know, and I'm a big guy, you know, whatever. I could I could kind of pull it up together. You can blend. I could try to blend. But, you know, I, I always thought, like, what about if you're, like, a woman? You know, I, I always thought that, you know, if you're a girl and you're the only one in this room, it must feel, you have to feel, if not, like, really uncomfortable, but you have to kind of feel differently. And what I would get a lot in my industry, which... You know, I would say that was really, really frustrating for them was that, you know, many times when I would have like a deposition, let's say, Mm -hmm. and I would walk into the boardroom or, you know, the conference room and there will be, you know, a woman sitting there, um, you know, with her files, you know, you know, power, you know, dress suit, you know, everybody would assume she was a court reporter. Uh, and okay. you know she would always you know and there were many cases of this not just one isolated one right, right. many cases where she would have to be like oh i'm the attorney and i think that after a while you probably got kind of like Ugh, over no, that right, like right. you know what do i have to prove do i have to have a, a, a thing that says i'm an attorney so i think it depends on the right. on the profession i mean law is certainly still a very conservative um profession as m- much as they may say that it's diverse. It, it, it has gotten a lot more diverse. Do but. you think that the diversity in your field has to do with what area of law? No. You I think the diversity... Think maybe in family law you see more women. In- I think that the diversity in law has to do with law school. It's, you know, it's hard to get into law school and it's very expensive. Right. So if you... You know, if you didn't go to a great high school and you didn't go to a great college and you don't have a ton of money um you know you probably had less score you know less uh, lower grade point averages lower LSATs I mean I think that's all I mean obviously you have people who grew grew up out of nothing that go to Harvard but I I think that it's in the whole pool of it it has to do a little bit with that with with income income dis income disparity <laughs> you know oh. that's 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 a big one i mean look how serious we're getting here oh, yeah, you know. yeah how far are we into uh we're at like the 36 minute mark oh we could we still have a little bit more time for fun well that's why that's why we're having that's why we're having the last soda of the uh, sodas of the desert because it's time <laughs> for some fun i mean do you really want to end our podcast on income disparity I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, it's it's a certainly uh, it's actually something I feel very passionate about. I have no doubt in my mind, but I don't want the last thing that people. This is only episode two. We still have to get them to come back for episode three. Okay, we'll talk about income disparity too. Uh, income disparity in episode three. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about income income disparity two electric boogaloo. Oh, I just I feel very. Um, 
I feel very passionate about income disparity uh, for two reasons. Uh, probably because in the last eight, nine years of my life, I've been exposed to people who did not, <laughs> did not, were not raised or did not come from um, areas, uh, from a background, they came from privileged backgrounds. And it was really shocking for me to see the disconnect between mm -hmm. that and, and reality. And when I mean reality, I mean middle class. <laughs> I'm not even talking about poverty line. Right, right, right. And and then also in the last three or four years since I've been doing um, the my work with the Guardian at Lightum program. That's right. Um, I'm a Guardian at Lightum. Um, now, and, and for those of you who don't know what that is, essentially it's where he gives a voice to children who would not otherwise have one I, in the in the court. And right. And I. Um, Kids that are removed from their parents because of, you know, abuse of whatever Plus sort of reasons. Um, you know, I go and I advocate for them in court. So these are generally children that come from families that um, are, you know, not educated, you know, <laughs> don't have Very any, rarely are they coming from Beverly Hills. <laughs> don't have money, you know, are from the right, wrong side of track. So, uh, you know, I've, I've seen both ends and mm -hmm. it's just a little bit, it's just shocking to me how kids that are raised in this um in the, these scenarios um just don't really have a chance i mean it's so hard for them to have a chance i mean these kids are going to terrible schools f schools um they you know their chances of getting into college any college is you know slim to none and and i just think there's such a disconnect between people that are affluent and 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 these people and and, and so let me ask you a question because you, you've brought it up a couple of times and I, I maybe i'm just being the devil's advocate at this point quite honestly but i understand that there's definitely something to be said for economic disparity affecting mm -hmm. everything yeah in, in your life to a point um because i am also of the belief that you know you can put you can put a kid in the best private school ever mm -hmm. If the kid's going to be a screw, if the kid's going to be a screw, uh, totally you know what I mean. Agree. Like, I, I, and and vice versa. I think you can put somebody who's brilliant, you know, in a really bad school or, or a worse situation, and they'll come up. and they'll figure out how to shine. Or, yes. Or, or, so, how much weight do you put? That? I mean, or do you do you think that that's just you kind of have to play the the middle the middle ground when you're when you're making those types of statements because obviously you have to look at the average kid well yes but i think a lot of it has to do with opportunity and mm -hmm. your your environment okay because you know what if you come from a wealthy home here eating a if, you come, if you come from a wealthy home and you know you're raised in connecticut and you have mm -hmm. every resource there is around you and everybody around you is doing well and you're going to the best schools and you have the best teacher connections you could be a screw-up i mean there's right. no doubt you could be a screw-up but you're less likely to mm -hmm. because you know what if you start screwing up in school your parents are going to get to the bottom of that your parents are going to take mm -hmm. you you know if it's something that having to do with a learning disability to a doctor if your parents are going to take you to a therapist are going to get you tutors are going to you know, they're going to do what they have to do, you know, okay. because that's also the environment around you, right? So if you do well in school and you uh, achieve, uh, obviously a lot of things has to do with your intelligence and your commitment and all that, of course. But if you do well and, and you have all these opportunities around you, the, the chances of you doing better and doing better in school, going to a better college, and if you go to a better college, you have more networking. If you have more networking, right. you have more opportunity. I mean, it's it builds up. Whereas, you know, a lot of times with these kids, and, and for me it was, I, I think I was a little bit, 
tone deaf to that because, you know, we grew up in a working class, but middle class, you know, uh, we have a middle class background. Comfortable enough. Comfortable enough. I mean, we're middle class. I mean, we certainly were not privileged at no, all. No, but, but we went on vacations. We, we were, you know, you know we, we didn't, you know, you didn't even have a part-time job in high school. You didn't actually, have to. Actually, I do. Not really. Well, but, but like senior year. I'm saying like by the... You know what I mean? It's not like... I, it, I did have a part-time job in high school. I started working at 15. Did you remember the water metering company? That's Yeah, but I don't know. For some reason, your part-time doesn't... It's not the same as... Because I didn't work like 20 hours a week. That's I what I'm saying. Like, like five, you know... Six. We weren't, we weren't in a position where it was like, if we didn't go out and contribute to the household... Well, we didn't... I, cer- gonna, I certainly gonna, didn't have to. We didn't have to. That's what I'm right, saying. Right, Like, you know, whether we went out and got... My parents put a roof over my head. We were going to have a roof. We were going to have food. We were going to have right. clothes. We were going to go on a vacation. Right. If we wanted to go that weekend, as we would all do to the movies and McDonald's, our parents would give us the 20 bucks, you know, right. if we didn't have it. So, right. So, I mean, it's not that I was tone deaf, but, you know, I think that when you grow up in a middle class family and you surround yourself with middle class people um, and you go to a school that predominantly most people are middle class... Because you don't see yourself as rich, and we were not. You think, oh. you know, it's it's not that I thought that we were at the bottom of the totem pole, but I, I, you know, we certainly were not wealthy, and we were not well connected as children. So, I, you know, I, 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 nobody gave us anything, right? Probably. Right. I never. Nobody gave us anything, and it was very hard for us um, because this is a conversation I was having the other day. Um, maybe for in your case, it was a little bit different because your parents came to to the states when they were children. Yeah, but and like, we've had this conversation yeah. several times with all of our friends. My parents did not. Right. My parents came in their 30s. My parents didn't speak the language. So guess what? When I had homework and I couldn't figure out my homework, I had to do my homework and I had to figure out it myself yeah. because yeah. my parents couldn't help me because they didn't speak English and my parents certainly couldn't afford a tutor. Right. So... I actually, I would call Dial a Teacher in Channel 17. Aww, remember that? Dial a Teacher. Dial a Teacher. Yeah. Um, but that was a reality. Was that, do you think that was a national thing? or was No, that, that was just... I mean, I don't know if other affiliates had that right, or right, other right. public network, but, no. but we had it was, that. It was, based, it was just a phone number you would call, and it was like a tutor, free tutoring yes, service, yes. and it would help you out. Um, but I knew I had to get shit done because my parents couldn't afford it. But the point that I'm trying to make is that um, that's something that the older that I've gotten, the more I've realized, is that whole, you know, in terms of income disparity, because you always hear of that one kid that gets out of the ghetto and, you know, right. and makes it <laughs> to an Ivy League school, and great for him. And there's a lot of... You know, and there are a lot of kids who achieve that, but I don't think that that's still the reality for most children. Right. It's exception. Exactly. That live in income deprived. When I mean income deprived, I mean, you know, how. So we're talking like Flint, Michigan situations. Either Flint, Michigan, no, but here in Miami. No, 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 but I'm saying, but to give people well, a, yes. an idea that everybody can yes. kind of understand. You know, a single house, a single parent household, you know, where they're probably, if not under the poverty line, they're teetering on the poverty line. And these kids have absolutely no opportunity, no opportunity. So how, you know, it's a vicious circle they get in. And that's something that, you know, in the last few years that I've been a guardian at Lightroom, I've seen it in my face. Because it's one thing when you hear about child abuse and you hear about you know um, kids who don't have opportunities and are going to F schools but you don't see it but mm-hmm. when you actually see it in your face right. you know you're kind of like wow this is this is not fair you know it's not fair that you're going to an F school where your teachers are barely getting by where you have no resources you don't even have a computer you know and remember when computers were not a necessity yeah I mean, like we would have like the one computer 
in the classroom and it was like a treat yes to play Oregon Trail on it oh we had a yes Oregon Trail we had in, in my elementary school we did not go to the same elementary school by the no school. that's uh, yes. I went to Cypress <laughs> Elementary a meritorious school of excellence out of our 40 years of life those were like you know the 10 that we didn't know each other we went you went to Royal Palm whatever it had how did you go to Royal Palm and not to Tropical ah because so both my parents were you know were working parents and I had an aunt, or she still lives there, actually. She lives, like, a block away from Royal Palm. Mm-hmm. So we used her address. So you're committing fraud. Well, you know what? Come at me. Mm, okay. And <laughs> I'm 30, I'm going to be 39 this year. You know what? Knock yourself out. What the hell's the statute anyway, of limitations so, on that? No, I mean, that's something I, I'll get off my soapbox <laughs> now. That's something I just, I, I felt, uh, you know, I feel very passionate about. So. But I think, you know, it's definitely something, to your point, I think that it affects a lot of things and, and kind of almost to tie this back into a neat little bow, you know, it's that economic disparity which I think leads certain people to believe that they should settle for certain things. And mm-hmm. that's where you, you have, you know, situations where some people, in this case, we were started off talking about, you know, the, the income disparity between men and women. But, you know, if you were never given anything, you come to accept that the scraps you are given mm-hmm. are what are all you should be entitled to. But then, you know, every now and again, you have someone like the filmmakers of of Moonlight who are from Overtown. Yes. Who see past that and, you know, go on to achieve the the Best Picture Oscar yeah. winner. And see how I no, tried it, every single thing we just talked about <laughs> in one fell swoop. So, okay, so let's get to the last uh, soda that does it. See the range that we have? God, we're you, fantastic. Talking about social issues, and you know, and you know, the Golden Palace was in there. Don Cheadle. I mean, oh, come on now, Jesus H. Oh. So, are we ready for our last uh, soda? I think we are ready for the last soda. Desert. Desert. So, um, so this is the segment that we end every show with, um, where it's a take on in a Spanish saying that um, "La última Coca Cola del Desierto," which. Is loosely translated to, you know, you think you're the last Coke in the desert, which is to say you think you're the be-all, end-all. You think you're the big shit. You're the, yeah, you think you're, you're the be-all, end-all. In other words. Exactly, yeah, you're the shit, right? So we figure what a best way to end every episode is talk about something that we think should be given that last soda. And, you know, it's it's definitely making us happy and we think it's a really cool thing. And um, I don't know, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I went first last time, you go first. I will go first. So um, I'm going to give the last soda this, this episode actually to... Somebody that we went to high school with, um, his name is Alex Segura. Oh, love me some Alex Segura. And he is, for those of you who don't know, he is an author, written a fantastic series of crime noir novels called uh, Pete Fernandez. And the beauty of it is that he has written a a series of, of crime noir books that all take place here in Miami. And he leverages a lot of local landmarks where if you don't know what they are it doesn't change one whit of how much you can enjoy the the book but when you do it's it adds that little extra layer and you know a lot of the the landmarks are actually from the area here in miami westchester where we grew up so it's really great and he's he's just such a wonderful person and i've i've had the pleasure of actually going to all three of his book signings Mm -hmm. at this point um the fourth pete fernandez novel i think oh god i can't remember the name right now um, it was just announced. I think it comes out later this year, mm-hmm. and I can't recommend them highly enough. And on that note, I'm also going to recommend that you read anything he's written. He actually works for Archie Comics. He's written a bunch of stories with them as well. And aside from that, he's a really wonderful human being. Just a great person. And I say that even despite the fact that he's vegan. 
Uh, he is? He is. He's, I don't know if he's vegan or vegetarian, but I know it's one of those two. And So, you know, Alex, in spite of you being a vegan, I, I think you're a fantastic I like to person. think that I started Alex's um, literary career. I made him editor-in-chief of the yearbook, of the 1998 yearbook. Oh, okay. Wait, wasn't he on the... the he, he was on the yearbook staff. As well? He, he was in newspaper, and he was in yearbook. And he was in yearbook... Um, he was in your book when when I was the editor in chief of I was the editor in chief of my high school yearbook, my and, and I was the editor in chief of the newspaper. Uh, but and, I was, and another friend of ours was the executive producer of the local news. Uh, so. of the, of the three of us owned the media <laughs> in our high school, and I was the the um, editor in chief of the yearbook in when I was a senior, and I took that job extremely serious. Like, do you remember how seriously I took that job? Listen, I, I've seen the documentary, the September issue, and it was less intense. Than I, I had a better haircut than Anna Wintour. Than, but, but who doesn't? Well, you know, no. Uh, but anyway, I took that job very seriously, and thanks to that, our yearbook kicked it ass. Did. It did. Our yearbook was one of the best yearbooks. Twenty in our years class. later, I I I wasn't so good on the budget. But that's why. But we went over budget. But the point was that I uh, made um, my last, I guess, uh, mark. Mark as editor in chief was naming my um, my um, what's the word I'm looking for? Predecessor. No, (laughs) my yeah. No. Okay, we can't speak English. Uh, Again, the the next editor in chief, uh, which I (laughs) which I put uh, Alex Segura um, and he was great so Alex I started your career and no, I'm just kidding yeah, so he's a great human being and actually um, that's my last uh, I'm, soda I'm, I'm writing a book um, and which I'm almost done with and he actually is a person that I've sort of idolized in this whole scenario because again he came from the same beginnings as I did and yeah. you know he's now a writer and he's gonna be have published several books so I hope that one day I could be as successful as he has and uh, again he's a, a Really, really cool human being. So, you're up. Who do you want to give your soda to? Okay, so I'm going to go on a completely different (laughs) route here. And my last uh, soda, not not that brand brand soda of the desert, goes to Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, who is a political advisor to Donald Trump. Oh, now, okay. the reason why Stephen Miller is my last soda of the desert right. is because he's absolutely wonderful. Tell me, Sarah so, Huckabee. So, <laughs> why? I have a better face than Sarah Huckabee, okay? But she kind of has your hair. <laughs> Don't you insult my hair. Listen, I'm a dude and I have better hair than... Let's not go there. Let's not go there. That's not what this is about. So, Stephen Miller was recently in an interview with Jake Tapper on CNN, and it was absolutely wonderful. So, Jake Tapper brought him on there to speak about the Fire and Fury book, okay, and about Steve Bannon and the allegations that Steve Bannon are, 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 is making. And the guy, he really didn't answer any of Jake Tapper's questions, okay. and um, Jake Tapper is a bit of a straight shooter. I mean, he's. He's not particularly controversial. He'll he'll ask you what he needs to ask right. you. He has a job to do. He has a job to do right. exactly. And Steve Stephen Miller went on there, 
And everything that Jake Tapper asked him, his question, his answer was always the same, which was this whole thing about Donald Trump. Because we won the election, because we got to the hearts of the American people, and he is a genius. He is a genius. Donald Trump is a genius. He revolutionized reality TV. He created reality TV. He's a self-made billionaire. He's the greatest man ever. He'd come up with, you know, we'd fly to places, and in 10, 15, 20 minutes, he'll have this whole speech. He is a genius. Genius, like I've never seen before. That was his answer to like every question. He would not <laughs> really answer the questions. So the the very little question, the, the very little answers that he would provide with actual like substantive material. Um, Jake Tapper started getting tough on him. He's like, listen, you're not answering the question. You know, what about Steve Bannon? What about this? What about that? And he would answer and repeat himself over and over and over again. I mean, he was going off, and then there's the part where Jake Tapper tells him, well, the only person who's ever called himself a genius is himself. <laughs> Nobody's ever called him a genius. And then, you know, he, when he would keep going on with him, Jake Tapper then also said, well, you know, he has a 30-some approval rating, so I don't know what how great he right, is right. it got so bad that he cut him off he cut the interview short and as jake tapper was cutting the interview short he kept talking he kept speaking over jake tapper and sources say that he had to be escorted out of the building i think it's great and you, you're the one who said it like especially with the the, the press uh the press briefings yeah where it's like the reporters, I think at this point, I don't even care what side of the aisle, quote unquote, you're on. Like, they don't give a shit. Yeah, I don't even put down you. Carajo. They're just They just show up and they're just like, you know what? <laughs> Whatever. And they sueltan todo disparate that they want. You know, and I, I think it's, it's, again, it's entertaining, but sad. <laughs> yeah, um, and... The thing with this guy is, oh, Jake Tapper tells him. So why are you giving your why, why are you giving it to this guy as opposed to Jake Tapper? <laughs> no, you know why? Because Jake Tapper, Jake Tapper handled it very well, okay. very professionally. But this guy was so ridiculous that it's like you know what? Let's give him the last cook of the you desert. Know what? You know, he let's needs give refreshment. He needs refreshment. He was talking he, a lot. Yeah, he was. And you know what? I actually looked him up the other day. He's only like he's. I don't even think he's in his mid thirties. He's like 32, 33. Why do all these people that are in their 30s that work for this administration look like they're 85? And I, I was like, really? I'm like, you're 32? Like, you're young? Like, what? like are they walking through some type of weird Narnia Sarah, door? Sarah Huckabee's younger than we are. Sarah Huckabee looks... By a You know what, though? I've told you about this, and I told you when Sean Spicer was a press secretary... It's a thankless job, but... They have the hardest job in the world because they have to make sense of Trump. And they have to do it with somewhat of a straight face. And you know what? Especially White House press secretary is a a very prestigious job. And it's definitely a stepping stone. I mean... You don't turn it down. Listen, when Sean Spicer got that job, he was probably like, look, I'm going to work for the devil, but I'm going to see if I can pull this off. or like Get a book deal afterwards. Get a book deal. And, you know, whatever, whatever. But, you know, he was probably, like, the first couple of weeks, he was probably like, shit. (laughs) I have to go out there and say this is the biggest inauguration ever given of any president of all time that was watched. When the pictures of him and Obama's clearly show the difference. Whatever. So, so, Stephen Miller, this soda's for you. Aw, well... (laughs) Good on you, Stephen Miller. I don't think, I don't think. You, and for those of you, think anybody saying that. To for for those of you who did not watch this banter and just want a really, really good laugh, um, go on YouTube and look up Stephen Miller on Jake Tapper. 
I mean, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right, so Stephen Miller and Alex Segura, two people who I'm sure will never be in the same room together, are getting our last sodas of this episode. So cheers to you guys. Cheers to you guys. And on that so, note, on that note, that's our second podcast. It's in the can. And if you've made it this far, we love you. We do love you, and we hope that you come back for a third episode. And we hope we have a sponsor eventually. Yes. So we definitely. I was actually funny as I was thinking uh, last time. Last time you mentioned, you know, having cafe butelo. I don't know. Um, I would like to have them, but I know we can talk about this on another podcast, but they've been a little shady with um, with this grassroots organization called 305 Cafecito Time. And uh, that was started by this one person as like a little social media thing. And Bustelo actually came in and stole it and has not paid her for it. Well, you know what? Screw them. So, we're going pilon, cafe pilon. Or la llave. Or la llave. No, but listen, cafe pilon is... Delicioso hasta el último buchito. Bueno, then, I mean, who can argue with that? Who can argue with that? Who can argue so, with that? I mean, who doesn't want it to be delicious to the last draw? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm saying it now. My second, our second podcast. Yes. Our ultimate guest is Oye Dairon. For right now. For well, well, we love you, know, you, we love you Dairon. Don't get me wrong, but you know, listen. Our ultimate guest listen, will be Pia Zadora. If I, you know what? She's not doing much. We could probably get Pia Zadora before we get Oye Dairon. Oye Dairon's star is rising. Yeah, and he has a full-time job as a pharmacist. And a real estate agent. Right, man, you do a lot of things. Yeah, Dairon, you're pretty awesome. Like, so so busy. And he's funny. He is funny. And he's, he has a new baby, you know? I know. Oh, so cute, that kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Oye Dairon, we're going to give you a last soda in the desert. and Yeah, we're going to... we're gonna. He gets our honorable uh, mention. Our, our joint. We're gonna, you, we're, you know what? We're going to give you a jupinha. A jupinha. We're gonna give you a hooping, yeah, in the hopes that you know we can entice you, yeah, to to join us one day. So you know, again, we're still trying to figure out what the sign off is gonna be, but I think until then, au revoir and merci. Oh, we are international now, boo. <laughs> Bye.